Good evening, everybody. Great to be with you tonight. Why don't you go ahead and take your Bibles and open up to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be in just a few minutes. I want to say hello to everyone joining us on the worship guide online. If you're there at home or wherever you might be watching, I invite you to open up your Bibles as well. 2 Corinthians chapter 8 is where we're going to be. Hopefully you've been there and you're reading this past week as we continue uh, to the end of reading through the Bible this year in 2020, and so encouraged to hear more and more stories of how you're hanging in there and sticking with it, and many of you for the very first time are reading through God's Word, and that's an incredible uh, source of encouragement for us. But uh, 2 Corinthians chapter 8, it's where you're reading this week. We're going to dive down into this text in just a minute, but let me, let me take just a second and kind of set up what's going on here in 2 Corinthians chapter 8, and I'll do it this way. Uh, I don't know, it's probably been 12 years or something like that, but we were visiting at a church in Florida. It was in Tampa. The name of that church was Bell Shoals. And there was something that took place in that worship service that I had never seen before. And to be real honest, I've never seen since. So there was a portion in the worship service where the pastor got up and made a statement. And in response to what the pastor said, the entire congregation started applauding and cheering and just amening. And he, he was finished preaching. It wasn't that. It was near the end of the message. And it's the first time. It was just such an overwhelming response. I still remember it to this day. Now, here's what the pastor said. He got up and he said to the congregation, ready for this? It's time for the offering. And that church, in response, evidently they had learned, and every week it wasn't a show, that they had learned one of the greatest things they get to do as a gathered church or as the people of God was to give. So literally, when it was time for the offering in the church, this church just erupts in this excitement and joy and clapping. It, it's, it's marked me now 12 or 13 years later. I've never seen anything like that in the church. It turns out it wasn't just a show. They were an incredibly generous church. We were there as church planners, and they became a huge supporter of us as we went out to Vegas, and they were part of the work that was going on there. One of the things that stuck my mind, and I, I just remember, is at some point it seems that that church really believed what Jesus said in Acts chapter 20 when he said, it is more blessed to give than to receive. Evidently, that church had learned and they had been taught very well from 2 Corinthians 9, maybe, that God loves a cheerful giver. Let's say God loves giving, but God loves the attitude, a cheerful giver. Evidently, they knew very well, Proverbs 11 says, there is one who scatters, yet increases all the more. There is one who withholds what is justly due. But it results only in want. The generous man will be prosperous, and he who waters will himself be watered. So here's where we're going tonight is we've been talking about gospel transformation the past few weeks. We saw from Acts just a few weeks ago as Paul taught through that because Jesus is alive, we go. The, the reality of the resurrection transforms our lives. We looked last week that transform, transformation by the gospel means we have a entirely different relationship now with sin. We are dead to sin. We are alive to God in Christ Jesus. Tonight, we're going to look at the reality of the fact that the gospel, the reality of the death, the burial, and the resurrection of Jesus Christ 
also transforms every area of our lives. It transforms our relationship to money and possessions. Every area of our lives. So when we come to 2 Corinthians chapter 8 and chapter 9, we're going to look at that. What you have here is Paul writing to a local New Testament church. And really, it's the, it's the classic model and instruction on giving and generosity for us, the New Testament church. Those who have been transformed by the gospel, this is the example and the model that's given to us. One, but one of the best. In the New Testament, 2 Corinthians chapter 8. Now, I know what you're thinking. So, Pastor Mike, so we're going to be talking about giving tonight. Is that right? Financial giving. Yes, that's what we're going to be talking about from the pages of Scripture. Let me give you a couple disclaimers. Disclaimer number one is this. I, as one of your elders, one of your pastors, I refuse to apologize for teaching on giving. In fact... I would go so far to say as any pastor or shepherd of the people of God who does not teach on giving needs to apologize. Because there's so much truth and gospel reality in the scriptures that challenge our hearts as believers to this area of our life when it comes to giving. So much promise of blessing, so much challenge of communion and intimacy with the Lord and impact as we faithfully surrender and submit every area of our lives, including our money and our finances. It, by the way, God owns everything. Everything we have has been entrusted to us by him. Now, second disclaimer I want to make tonight is this. We are not teaching on giving tonight because the church is behind on budget. This is not a response to a problem. This is not a makeup message. This is not, well, you know what? The people aren't giving enough. We're way behind on budget. We better talk about giving. That is not the case. In fact, it's been a very generous last few months. Even through COVID, God has blessed our church immensely. This is not because we're getting ready to build something. This is not because we need something. This is because in the pages of Scripture, your elders want something for you, not something from you. Want the blessings of walking in obedience and a reminder for many of you, some of you, and a strong encouragement that we need has, has the gospel transformation in my life transformed the way I look at money and possessions and the way I generously give through his local church to advance the gospel to the ends of the earth? Do I, does my life look like that? In 2 Corinthians chapter 8, we have a model and a challenge for us. Now, before we look at verse 1, just a minute, Paul's writing to the church at Corinth. He's writing to the Corinthians, and he had spent some time there, and as a part of his time there, he had challenged the Corinthians to give generously, particularly to the needs of the poor saints back in Jerusalem. So he encouraged all the Gentile churches that he ran around to, to, to collect this generous giving from the Gentile churches that would go to the church back in Jerusalem that was evidently incredibly poor during this time. He's been encouraging them to give, and he's going to use, as he encourages the church at Corinth, he's going to use another set of churches, the churches in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea, these other churches. He's going to use them as a model to encourage and challenge the church at Corinth. 
And for us, we have one of the clearest, most concise models of giving you'll find anywhere in the New Testament. All right? So I'm going to read down. We're going to go down through verse 8, 9, something like that. I'm going to give you a big truth. Some applications that flow out of that called big ideas uh, tonight. So look with me, verse 1. Let's read these verses and walk through God's word together. So Paul says this. We want you to know, brothers, about the grace of God that has been given among the churches of Macedonia. Paul's writing to Corinth. He's using the churches of Macedonia as an example to spur on their faithfulness in giving. He says, I want you to know what's going on in Macedonia, Philippi, Thessalonica, Berea. He says, verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy. Now, that should jump off the page to you, by the way. It says, in their severe test of affliction, they had this abundance of joy. How's that possible? Keep reading. And their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. Again, one of those verses that ought to jump off the page. Severe affliction, extreme poverty, wealth of generosity. How does that go together? Verse 3. For they gave. For they gave. Again, Paul's clearly talking about their financial generosity. Their giving of what they had through their local church. It says, verse 3, for they gave according to their means, as I can testify, and they gave beyond their means. We'll talk about that in just a minute. They gave of their own accord. In fact, verse 4 says, they were begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. I love that. Paul says, listen, if I hadn't given them the opportunity to, to give, they were begging us for the opportunity to invest financially in what God was doing. Verse 5, and this, not as we had expected. Paul says, they exceeded my expectations in their giving. But they gave themselves first to the Lord. It's a huge truth. We're going to come back to that in just a minute. They gave themselves first to the Lord and then by the will of God to us, meaning in this challenge of giving. Their giving flowed out of their heart of worship. We'll talk about that. Now skip on down to verse 7. So Paul says, back to the church at Corinth, he says, But as you excel in everything, Corinthians, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in all earnestness, and in our love for you... See that you excel in this act of grace also. Paul is challenging the Corinthians to say, look, you excel in so many other areas. He says, I'm challenging you to excel in this grace of giving as well. Now, verse 9. Sometimes as you're reading through Scripture, you need to find, if you will, and we do this, we try to model this for you in so many ways, even in our, in our teaching. What's the... The big truth, if you will, that everything else pivots around. And I think, as best I can tell, it's right here in verse 9. Paul says, okay, the foundation, the motivation, the reason for your giving, the impetus for your giving is this. Verse 9. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, 
Yet for your sake, he became poor so that you, us, we, God's people, by his poverty, his death, his resurrection, his incarnation, all that is in the gospel, so that you by his poverty might become rich and be lavished with the blessings of God, all the spiritual blessings that are ours in the heavenlies. We talked about that earlier. Paul seems to be saying the motivation for all of our giving is the gospel. Who Christ is, what Christ has done, gospel transformation will be the motivation, the reason, the, inner, the empowering of our giving. Because if you've been transformed by the gospel, it's going to change the way you give. It's going to change the way you spend money. It's going to change the way you look at possessions. So here's your big truth for tonight, and then we're going to give some big ideas that are implications that flow out of this. Big truth is this. Because Jesus gave himself, we generously give. The motivation for giving is not usually human need. That's not the ultimate motivation. It's not that there's some great work that needs to be done. All that's really important. The motivation for you and I to give what has been entrusted to us is that we have been transformed by the gospel. Paul says, you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ because Jesus gave himself. We generously give because we've been transformed. Now listen, brothers and sisters, this is not human philanthropy. This is not goodwill. This is God-honoring, joyful, self-denying, sacrificial, gospel-advancing a life of financial generosity. It is to be a hallmark of God's people. It's to be a hallmark of gospel-centered churches, a life of generous giving. Don't you know this is completely countercultural? I read something this week that I found very interesting. It said this by the time a person is 20 years old, it is estimated that you have seen no less than 1 million advertisements of some type of product. The vast majority of every one of those advertisements is discipling you, by the way, and it's discipling you not how to give, but how to get. The, the current, we, current we live in, the flow and the stream that we live in, and especially in the Western culture, is not preaching to you, give generously, give generously. It's you deserve, you give, you take. We live in that sea. So gospel transformation to give sacrificially, to give in a way that will cost us something for the good of others and most of all the glory of God and because of the gospel of Christ, is not human philanthropy. It is gospel transformation. Man, I want to be characterized by that. I long for our church to continue to grow in that. It's a transformation of the gospel of the Lord Jesus. So big truth again, because Jesus gave himself, we generously give. Now, I've got a few big ideas that are going to flow out of that. And we're going to go back through these verses. All right, big idea number one is this. We give regardless of circumstances. Listen to the verse again, 2 Corinthians verse 8, 1 and 2. Paul says, listen, we want you to know, brothers, the grace of the Lord Jesus, what's going on in Macedonia, verse 2, for in a severe test of affliction, their abundance of joy and their extreme poverty have overflowed in a wealth of generosity on their part. In other words, Paul does not say, I want you to know how wealthy the Macedonians are 
how good everything in Macedonia is, how happy their life is, and, and they found a way just to give out of their access in Macedonia. That's not what he says. He says they are dirt poor people, <laughs> and they were historically. We know from history the area called Macedonia had been ravaged by war at that time. We know historically that it was a province of Rome and the resources of Macedonia had been plundered by the Romans. It was an impoverished region, a very poor region. It would be like hearing today, you wouldn't believe the generosity of the churches in Syria. I mean, those churches are just giving so, you're like, how do they have a dime to give? Here's the point. Paul says, look, your generosity, we give regardless of the circumstances. I think here's the temptation we face. I face this. We all face this. We say something to ourselves like this. Well, you know, it's just not, it's just not a good season for me to be giving right now. I mean, the economy's real unstable. I, I, if I could get my finances in order and get everything in line the way it needs to be, then I'll start giving. And I want you to hear something from me. If the Bible's true, I think the Bible teaches you will never get your finances in order until you honor God first, the child of God. It's easy to say, man, the situation is such right now. I, I, can't, I can't give. I can't honor God. I, I, I hear that a lot from newlyweds, or I hear that a lot from college students. Who I get it. They don't have a lot of money. That's not the point. That's very little to do with how much you have. It has everything to do with the fact that our heart has been transformed, and we trust the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ. We give. So big idea number one is this, we give regardless of the circumstances. Big idea number two, Paul teaches this here. We give proportionally, sacrificially, and willingly. We give proportionally, sacrificially, and willingly. Look at verse three and four. He says, for they gave according to their means. In other words, they gave proportionally. Not everyone gave the same, but everyone gave. They gave proportional to what God had entrusted to them. They, they gave sacrificially. This is an incredible verse. He says, they gave according to their means. And as I can testify, Paul says, listen, they not only gave according to their means, he says they gave beyond their means. And my best understanding of that as you read through this passage is they're giving to this work. They're giving to the Lord through their local church. Their giving meant that it cost them something. They had to do without something that was less important for the sake of honoring the Lord first. They gave sacrificially. And by the way, the gospel of the Lord Jesus Christ, a transformed heart, is the only thing that will cause us to give sacrificially on an ongoing basis because of what Jesus has done. Says they gave according to their means, and then they gave beyond their means. And then he says they gave of their own accord, meaning they gave willfully, they gave joyfully. They didn't give because Paul had twisted their arm. They didn't give because a preacher got on TV and tried to, you know, manipulate or make them feel bad or use some guilt tactic. They couldn't wait to give. Verse, five, verse 4, they were begging us earnestly. That's a very strong phrase in the original language to say they were, in a sense, demanding. We want to be a part of this act of giving. We don't have a lot. 
Times are extremely hard, but we've been so transformed by the grace of God, we want to give. This is a great example for us. We give proportionally, we give sacrificially, and we give willingly. They got in number three. We give impactfully. Impactfully. I'm pretty sure that's a word. If it's not, I just made one up. But we give impactfully. What does that mean? Well, listen to what it says. It says they gave of their own means. It says they gave beyond their means of their own accord. Verse 4, begging us earnestly for the favor of taking part in the relief of the saints. In other words, significant ministry was accomplished through their giving. Their sacrificial, faithful, generous giving through their local church was used to make an impact in the ministry all the way back in Jerusalem. The biblical model seems to be here. We, uh, we're able to make kingdom impact through our giving. And you see the model here is their first place of giving was through their local church for kingdom impact. That's a question I've heard a lot. That's a question folks wrestle with a lot. Is I, I want to give. I want to be generous. Where should I give first? It is my conviction that the first place we give is through our local church. It's not the only place. It's through our local church. Randy Alcorn says this. Seems to me our giving should go to where the center of God's plan is, which is the local church. But just so you know, as we talk about that here and they gave and your Tri-Cities, every ministry, every children's resource, every student event, every benevolence need met, every local partner we support, every missionary sent out, every new church partnered with, every global partner, every ministry possible through this local church is made possible through the faithful giving of the members, the family of this local church. It's the way it's designed to be. When we give, we get to give impactfully through our local church like they did here in Corinth. Number four. Big idea number three, we give impactfully. Big idea number four is this. We give worshipfully. We give worshipfully. Now listen to this, verse five. I love this verse. Paul says, and this, it wasn't as we expected. I mean, their giving exceeded our expectations, Paul said. He says, but they gave themselves, and this is huge. If you mark in your Bibles, but I encourage you to circle this. They gave of themselves first to the Lord. In other words, their heart had been submitted and surrendered first to the Lord. They, they belonged to God. Everything they had belonged to God. Their hearts belonged to God. Their future belonged to God. Everything belonged to God. They realized everything I have is a gift from God. They had submitted, surrendered themselves as living sacrifices to the Lord. And then Paul says, and then, by the will of God to us, meaning they took part in this giving as an overflow of their heart of worship. We give worshipfully. Now listen, to whatever we worship most, we willingly give most. Well, that's true in your life. That's true in my life. I, I, I wrote that down this week. I, I was praying through this. I th Whatever we worship most, we have no problem then giving most. We just don't because our heart's there. I mean, we sometimes struggle to give generously and for different reasons, but there are times that, boy, I'm ready to spend some money on myself, and it's not that much of a struggle. 
And there are other things in our life that are, are good things to give to and good things to spend money on. I'm not saying they're not, but just realize whatever we worship most, we will willfully, consistently, joyfully give to most. Jesus teaches that pretty clearly. By the way, Jesus had a lot to say about giving and financial possessions and treasures and how we deal with it. I mean, he said, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. Meaning, you can kind of take that two ways. One is our giving will reveal the place of our heart. In other words, our giving, my patterns of giving, my patterns of spending will clearly reveal the place and the condition of my heart. Yours as well. But at the same time, Jesus says, where your treasure is, there will your heart be also. In other words, our finances can also direct our heart. Our fi where we give, where we invest most, our heart will naturally follow. So I have so many conversations with folks and they're, they're, maybe they're on the fringe or they're, they're drifting, let's just say, from involvement in their local church for multiple reasons, whatever the case is. And the majority of the time, if you go back and look at giving patterns, they have begun to slide and they're no longer investing in their local church. And guess what? Their heart's not there. It's just what happened. That's why for us as a team, it's a regular practice. And I'm of the conviction, and we practice this, that someone who's not faithfully giving through their local church is in no way should be in any position of leadership in their local church. Because their heart's not going to be there. Jesus says where your treasure is, where your investment is, guess what? Your heart will follow. It's the way we're wired. So we give impactfully, we give worshipfully. And then finally, number five, quickly, we give systematically. This is really practical tonight. We give systematically. Now, this is not out of chapter eight, but Paul speaking to the same group in 1 Corinthians chapter 16. You don't have to turn there, but he's speaking to the same church about this gift. And he says, listen, here's the pattern. He says, on the first day of the week, each of you is to put something aside and store it up as he may prosper so that there'll be no collecting when I come. Speaking about the same gift. Now, the point's not the gift itself. The point's the pattern. Paul says, look, Giving is not to be haphazard. It's not to be when I think of it. It's not to be when I get around to it. It's not to be, right, at the end of the month, if I have something left, I kind of scrape it up. That's not to be the pattern. Paul says, look, every Sunday, regular pattern, or whatever that pattern is, is to be this regular, systematic, honoring God first in your giving. All the immense blessings that flow from that into the lives of the ones who give. Jesus said it is better to give than receive. Now, big truth, because Jesus gave himself, we generously give. Implications that flow out of that, therefore we give regardless of circumstances. We give proportionally and sacrificially and willingly. We, we give impactfully. We give worshipfully. We give systematically. All those flowing out of this gospel transformation. Now, what Paul's done here is he's given an example in chapter 8. Then you get to chapter 9 and Paul gets a little more direct, a little more specific to the Corinthians there. And he goes from an example to a direct exhortation. So flip over chapter 9 and look at verse 6 with me. 
So again, he goes from this example, the example of the Macedonians, and then he goes into these direct exhortation or challenge to the church there in Corinth for them and for us. So he says this, verse 6. I love it. Paul's so clear. He says, the point is this. Paul, what's your point? What are you trying to say? Well, the point is this. Whoever sows sparingly will also reap sparingly. Whoever sows bountifully will also reap bountifully. It's the law of the harvest. Paul's drawing from an agricultural example. You get that. You, if we choose in many areas of our life, whether it's kindness, love, friendship, whatever, you, you, you'll, you'll reap a harvest based on how you sow. He says, if you sow sparingly, you'll reap sparingly. Man, as the people of God, you sow bountifully from a heart of generosity. There'll be a bountiful harvest. Verse 7, he gets very specific. He says, each one who gives all. Each one must give as he has decided in his heart, not reluctantly, not under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. So again, this is painfully practical. I mean, Paul's very clear on this reality that gospel-transformed lives is going to be changed in the area of our giving. So just in all honesty, I, I thought it might be helpful tonight. So, uh, Pastor Mike, why don't you just be wrong? What does that look like for you? Again, not that I'm the example. That's not the point. But as one of your pastors and one of your elders, all right, so what does this look like in your life? Do you practice what you preach? What, is, what does this look like? Well, if you've heard me teach on giving the last few years, you hear me say this over and over, but I can't say it enough. Almost everything I learned early on about generosity and giving, God was so gracious to teach me at this church. I mean, from 1995 to 1996, 97, Jennifer and I were newlyweds. We were here. God used this church in my life. And some of you in this room, I've learned generosity from I see the elephants sitting right back here, generous, faithful people. I've seen that model. Pastor Gene and Miss Gail, right down here, I've learned generosity by watching their lives. I was taught that. I was challenged in that area because we were that newlywed couple that showed up at church and we thought, man, we got to get all our finances in order. Then maybe we'll figure out a way to give on down the road. And that was not what we were taught here. No, honor God first. I mean, I am so grateful that some people loved us enough and the word was taught and we saw it modeled, this pattern of honoring God. First, we were taught God owns everything. I'm a steward, meaning I manage whatever has been entrusted to me by God and the immense joy and impact and abiding relationship and joy, even in my relationship with the Lord Jesus, through faithful, generous giving. So for for Jennifer and me, to, uh, to be honest, our giving first begins through this local church. First check we write, if you will, it's online, but the first online check we write, if you will, is through this local church. We give through regular budgeted tithes and offerings through this local church. You say, well, of course you do. You're one of the elders. That's why you do it. No, 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 no. What's this. The reason we give is not because I'm a pastor, not because I'm an elder at this church. You know why? It's because I'm a member of this local church. I'm a member. This is my church home. This is my church family. In fact, one of the ways, one of the commitments we have made to one another, if you are a member at this church, one of the membership promises says this, is we promised one another to sacrificially and cheerfully steward the resources God has given me through regular financial giving. That's a commitment we make to one another. 
as being a part of this church. So we don't give because we're one of the pastors here. We give because we're one of the members, part of this family. And Pastor Mike, you're talking about tithing? Is that what you're talking about? Here's my conviction about tithing is this. The tithing, 10%, is never the goal. Tithing is the starting point. It's a guide. It's a guide. In other words, it's, it's a, it's a, it seems to be a, a pattern that's been entrusted throughout history of God's people, but it's never to be, okay, well, I, I got my tithe in. I can check the box. No, no, it seems to be a pattern or a starting point for us to go way beyond as God's people. Do you give beyond the tithe, Pastor Mike? We sure do. Through this local church. Second place we give is we give through Give to Go here at our church. Give to Go is an over and above missions offering here at our church. That's the second place we give to. It's over and above. And I'll just be honest, as, as again, a member of this church, I'm honored. I'm thrilled to be able to be a part of something like Give to Go. That's a missions offering that we get to collectively give to so that we together can do a whole lot more than we could ever do on our own. That's the point. Don't want to sound like an advertisement, but that means together we can serve the vulnerable organizations and those in our community. We can send disciples out of our church. Last night at my home, we had four different missionary families who were here on stateside assignment just for dinner and just so enjoyed spending time with them. Many of them, where they are located around the world, they're, they're here now because of COVID and different things, but many of them are all over the world through your financial giving and support through Give to God. We get to plant churches, we get to train leaders, we get to reach the unreached. We get to be a part of some pretty incredible kingdom impacting things around the world through this thing to give to go. So as a family, we first give through our local church, we give through give to go, and then uh, we give through other organizations outside our local church. We support other missionaries. First is through this local church. I just want you to know this is not something that we just gotta call you to. This has been something we've modeled. We teach our kids that. If you ask my kids, they've heard ranted from dad. Man, honor God first with your time. Honor God first with your money. Honor God first with everything that comes in. Honor God first with your time. Set that time apart every day. Honor God first with your finances. Huge, huge principle for us. So what the Apostle Paul does here, and this is where we'll draw it to a close, is he finishes with some, a few truths in 2 Corinthians uh, chapter 9, verse 7. So I want to read these few verses, and I'm going to give you one more big idea. And here's what Paul says. He says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart. Not reluctantly, meaning reluctant giving doesn't honor God. You know what that looks like? Well, you know what? I'm going to give. I'm not really happy about it. <laughs> or we give, and we're thinking, man, you know what else I could be doing with that money? It would be a whole lot more exciting We've said it over and over. I need to be reminded. You need to be reminded. God doesn't need your money. God doesn't need your money. So Paul says, each one must give as he's decided in his heart, not reluctantly or under compulsion, for God loves a cheerful giver. Doesn't say God loves giving. God doesn't need giving. But man, God is honored by a heart that is so transformed by grace. We live like this. God, everything I have is a gift from you. Everything is held out on my fingertips. That's what generosity means. On our fingertips, Lord, I'm ready, eager to give to you, through you, for your glory. 
says verse 8, and I love this. This is where we'll wrap up. And God is able. You might want to mark that in your Bible. And God is able to make all grace abound to you. Listen to the language Paul uses here. God is able to make all grace abound so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times, you may abound in every good work. All grace, all sufficiency, abound. God gives most. Verse 10, he who supplies seed to the sower and bread for food will supply and multiply your seed for sowing and the increase of your harvest of righteousness. Just overflowing language here from the Apostle Paul. So here's our final big idea, and we'll close on this. In fact, the team can come on up and just begin to play as we move into a time of response. Here's your final big idea. Number six is this. We give trusting our all-sufficient, abundantly gracious God who is able. Listen, brothers and sisters, we give as an act of worship. We give as an act of trust, trusting of the faithfulness of our God who is able to richly supply us with everything we need out of the lavish grace and who he is. We give trusting, all-sufficient, abundantly gracious God who is able. So I came across a story this week, and I don't always end with a story, but man, it was so challenging to me to hear it. At the end of World War II, and I'm a history buff, I especially like World War II. At the end of World War II, the the allies in Europe had a lot of problems and a lot of challenges. One of them was what to do with all the orphans. So many orphans that were left behind because of all the conflict. So they built all these camps and they built these homes. They built these places. They tried to provide the best care they could for these orphans. And I was listening to this story told this week. And one particular story of one particular camp was this. That after weeks and weeks of providing and giving the orphans everything they needed, clothes and shelter and food, there was a problem that even though they were clean, they were fed well three times a day, they had a good place to live. These orphans just could not sleep at night at all. So one person realized that maybe the problem was this. Maybe you've heard this story before, but maybe the problem was this. So they began every night as the children lay down in their bed at night, they would go down the aisles of this uh, or this place where they built for the orphans and they would take a piece of bread and they would just put it in the hand of every little orphan and that child would just wouldn't eat it but keep it in their hand kind of tug it in their heart and they would keep it right there and here's what happened and I'm reading it says in a matter of days all the children were sleeping through the night and what the leadership realized was that even though they were fed to the full through the day Experience had taught the children that having food today doesn't guarantee food for tomorrow. And it was the anxiety and fear that they would not eat the next day that kept them awake. But once they went to sleep with this little loaf in their hand, the fear was dispelled and they could enjoy all that they had because there was some security of the promise of tomorrow. Now, I don't tell you that story to tug on your heartstrings. I tell you that story for this. 
one of the things that keeps us from giving is we worry about the provision of tomorrow. Our loaf of bread, if you will, in our hand is right here in 2 Corinthians chapter 9 when Paul says this, and God is able. God is able to make all grace abound to you so that having all sufficiency in all things at all times you may abound in every good work you will be enriched in every way to be generous in every way verse 11 says verse 12 for the ministry of this service not only supplying the needs of the saints but is overflowing in many thanks and worship to God we give generously because the Lord Jesus gave himself completely to us. We give out of a heart of worship. We get out, give out of a heart of trust. And we give trusting the faithfulness of our God. That the God who provided everything I need today, you know what? The same God who's going to provide for me tomorrow. And I can lavishly and generously give. You pray with me. Just bow your heads for a minute. Take a moment. We're going to stand and sing in just a moment. Right there in your seat, wrestle with what the Spirit of God is saying through His Word tonight. If there's an area and a step of obedience you need to take or something God is calling you to or whatever, whatever that may be tonight, I'm just going to pray that your response is a yes. Lord, we love you. We praise you. Thank you for this truth. Thank you for this time. God, I pray that we continue to grow as a generous people in response to your grace. We love you. And it's in the great name of the Lord Jesus Christ we pray. Amen.